Hi, I'm MJ Berkeley from the Silhouettes and Quaker Shaker staff at Plainfield High School in Indiana. My staff and I are at the National High School Journalism Convention in Chicago, and this is the Yearbook Wise podcast. In this episode, Mike interviews a panel of advisors about censorship, controversial topics, and student press rights for yearbook staffs and advisors. Okay, here's the show. Hey there, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Yearbook Wise Podcast. My name is Mike Simmons, and I am coming to you from the 26th floor of the Hyatt Regency overlooking uh, the Chicago River in Chicago. It is great to be with you. Uh, I had the pleasure of sitting down with three friends and colleagues uh, this morning down at the ballroom level for a conversation uh, about scholastic press freedoms and uh, the ways in which advisors and staffs can uh, advocate for themselves and create authentic and timely, relevant coverage uh, for some of those topics that that might be uh, a little bit more controversial. Some of the hot topics, and, and you know how to develop strong relationships with uh, administrators, uh, develop trust, and, and build a program on a solid footing of, of good and ethical journalism, so that staffs can uh, tell stories that really matter. We had a great, wide-ranging conversation. I think you're really going to enjoy the listen. Uh, on the front side, I just wanted to remind you that you can find the podcast at, at YearbookWise on Twitter, and uh, certainly you're listening already, but if you're sharing it with friends or yearbook representatives, members of your staff, you can encourage them to find the podcast on Apple iTunes and Google Play. Uh, you'll hear in the conversation that we talk at some length about the Student Press Law Center. You can find them online at splc.org, uh, and also JEA's uh, focus on scholastic press, press rights comes via the Scholastic Press Rights Committee, uh, directed by Lori Keekley. Uh, they are online at jeasprc.org. And uh, I've got another uh, small project via my involvement uh, as a member of the SPRC, uh, co-hosting uh, yet another podcast. You've heard me talk about it here before, but it's Conversations at the Schoolhouse Gate. If you go back a uh, few episodes in this feed, you will find an episode uh, that I cross-listed uh, featuring Neha Madeira of Eagle Nation Online at Prosper High School. Neha and her colleague Haley Stack were just honored uh, this weekend at the Women in Media Conference in Manhattan. Uh, two tremendous young women fighting the good fight for scholastic press freedoms for journalists in, uh, in Texas and beyond. Uh, all of that is to say, I'd love to have you uh, get on over to Conversations at the Schoolhouse Gate and give it a follow and a listen. Uh, it's great content that ties directly back to this panel here. Uh, but for now, uh, let's get right into it. This is my conversation with Lori Keekley, Brian Wilson, and Sarah Nichols at the National High School Journalism Convention here in Chicago. Joining us from uh, the St. Louis uh, Park School in Minnesota, the director of our Scholastic Press Rights Committee for JEA, won't you please welcome Lori Keekley. Next to Lori, uh, the advisor of three publications at Palo Alto High School, a 2011 Distinguished Yearbook Advisor of the Year, Brian Wilson. An advisor of student media at Whitney High School, president of JEA, uh, more awards than I can mention because she's just an all-star uh, and makes me want to be a better advisor, Sarah Nichols. 
I'm proud to say this is a little pet project, uh, something that I started back in January, a resource for yearbook professionals, yearbook advisors, yearbook staffs. Um, and this uh, episode, what we're doing this morning, I've been wanting to get after for a while. I want to thank JEA and NSPA for helping us think creatively uh, about how we could make this happen. I want to acknowledge Jason in the back of the room who's helping us with audio this morning, uh, and certainly our panelists. Uh, I'm hoping that it's going to be a great one. What we're going to do um, once I'm done with this introduction is get into a little bit of a kind of a moderated discussion, uh, myself and the panelists up here, and then uh, around about 10.30, we hope to turn it over to some general uh, Q&A for you from the audience. Um, if you are not a yearbook person, you are welcome. Please stay. Uh, First Amendment is First Amendment is First Amendment, and it's important and valid uh, for all of you involved in scholastic journalism. Uh, we are probably going to keep uh, a yearbook focus throughout this, uh, but certainly you're welcome to stay. And if you do have questions, maybe jot them down, save them, and I'm going to have one of my staff uh, work the room with a microphone and hopefully have you uh, have an opportunity to engage with our panelists. Uh, Lori and Sarah need to head right out to their next session at the end. Um, Brian, you're okay for a few at the end. So if you need to, uh, please come see me and Brian so that the ladies can get out to their, uh, to their next session. Uh, but without further ado, um, we'll get on in. I'll put in a shameless plug. Uh, we are at, at YearbookWise on Twitter. Uh, you can find that, and if you didn't get a button at the door, you can see one of my girls, uh, one of my staff on the way out. Um, Lori, we're gonna start with you first. Um, students hear a lot about censorship, advisors hear about censorship, but I think it's important for us to establish a little bit of a vocabulary, a glossary first. Can you tell the audience a little bit about prior review and prior restraint? I would love to, thank, thank you, you, Mike. Prior review is when someone, other than your teacher, looks at your material before it goes to press or before it gets released if you're a broadcast. What, one of the problems with prior review is it often leads to what we call prior restraint, otherwise known as censorship. It's really important to try to get ahead of the prior review and work with your administrator to try to um, get out from under that umbrella. The reason why, again, prior review leads to prior restraint prior restraint and censorship, and it's, prior review makes it so you cannot express your views in student media. I've seen instances in which yearbooks have been censored because the boys' swim team does not adhere to the school dress code. That's one of the many reason, ways I could tell you. Um, over the years, we've seen a lot of um, instances in which they think yearbook is just PR. Yearbook is a historical record of the year, and it's really important that you and your voices are empowered to tell that story. Could you hit a little bit about self-censorship? When we get to the place where students have been taught or trained, or maybe it's just kind of in the ether, like, well, they're not going to let us tell that story anyway, so why try? It sounds like then the censorship becomes internalized. It does. And the evil of self-censorship is that people withhold what really the real story is. Um, those who are censored are more likely to self-censor because they've kind of given up on their ability, which really makes me sad. Um, so it really is worth your time. We have a JASPRC website, jasprc.org, that has some talking points that you can use with your administrators in order to help get out from under that prior review and prior restraint. Laura, you gave us a really nice segue on administrators. Brian, I wanted to talk with you. You've worked uh, at two powerhouse programs, uh, previously Waterford Kettering, right, in, in Michigan, um, and now you're at Pali in Palo Alto, California. 
what steps did you take, uh, you with your admin, your kids with your admin, maybe you guided the kids towards it, but how did you foster and develop really positive and strong relationships with your admin? Well, I think in terms of um, developing relationships with anyone, there's, there's kind of a, a golden rule. You want to make a really positive impression first. Um, if the first interaction that your yearbook ha staff has with uh, an administrator is a negative one, um, that, that potentially colors things, right? It paints you into a, a, a certain spot. And I think that um, just having an opportunity, if you can, to set things right from the get-go with an administrator um, really puts you in a good position, right? It's like a good first impression is, is it, it goes a long way towards making sure that you've got that good relationship. So, but doing that, I think, is, is, the, is the trick, right? How do you do some of those things? Um, I always have, uh, certainly with, with yearbook, uh, which is, um, w w we use the term PR tool in, in journalism, I think, almost always negatively. But it's a very positive PR tool f for your school, right? A really good yearbook is a, gr is a great opportunity for the school to showcase itself. And providing that for your administrators uh, at the end of the year when it comes out or the beginning of the year when you have it, um, and going through it with them and having conversations about the importance of the things that you're covering, I think really helps on the back end uh, when you get into situations where you may want to cover some things that are controversial or something that the administrator maybe is not so super excited about. Um, doing some of those things proactively, I think, really helps. Um, I always try to get... Uh, if there's a new ad administrator being hired, I don't know if your school, like, I, I've taught 22 years, and I think I'm on my eighth principal um, at this point. And so, it, you know, every two or three years, we're getting a new principal. Um, so you may be in a situation now where you have that opportunity to get in and, and like, dig your claws in and, and make a good impression right off the bat. But getting someone on the interview team when a principal is being hired, right, making sure that they see your kids in a positive light, you, you guys who are editors-in-chief, um, going up to the principal and introducing yourself, making sure that you're making those positive connections, I think really helps um, because you're hopefully... I think going to cover some serious important topics in your book, right? B books have changed a little bit, um, and I think that's probably going to happen. So you want to make sure that you have that positive impression. And once they're there, had you have, uh, were you active in getting your admin in your lab and, and kind of socializing them to the, here's the good work we're doing and seeing the kids in action? Has that helped you? Yeah, I want to make sure they see it. Um, and so our administrators are, are in, um, you know, we, we're sort of off on our own as the journalism program at Pali, but I want to make sure they're in as often as possible to see what we're doing. Um, and, and getting administrators to conventions and doing things where they're seeing you guys in action, I think, are, are critical to, to building those relationships. So, Sarah, we've been talking about admin. Brian got us a beautiful segue into controversial topics. Um, we, our, our world is, is rife with them, and I'm sure, I, and I know this is an audio format. For those of you in the room, how many of you in your yearbooks, how many of you have covered um, drooling and vaping in the last year or two? How many of you want to? Okay, how many of you have covered, new question, how many of you, and that's a lot of hands, for those of you listening on the podcast, that's a lot of hands. How many of you have covered um, topics around uh, mental health, depression, suicide, mental health? How many of you want to or need to? How many of you have ever, ever been told or believed that you can't? Yeah, and that's what we're here to deal with. So, um, to Sarah, um, how can advisors best support staffs in developing um, a, a solid plan journalistically you know, based, uh, built on a, on a solid foundation of journalism to address controversial topics and not feel like we got to run for the hills and we can't ever touch that. 
Sure, so that's a great question because um, just because we can cover something doesn't mean we should, right? Um, students, you have such a powerful opportunity to tell the stories of your school and your student body this year. Um, there are different ways to tell those stories and some that you'll really dive in on and others that you might choose not to tell or, or not to tell in the way that you might have at one time. So to, to prepare, um, it's kind of a multi-tiered approach, just like you're going to put the level of planning into your yearbook theme and your yearbook photography and typography or color palette. Um, those sensitive topics are gonna take that same level of planning or maybe even more so. Um, from the advisor's standpoint, our job is really just to support our students, right? To be a, a source of um, questioning, right? To ask the questions of tell me more about why you think we need the story on this and what approach are you planning to take? What, what sources are you looking at? Um, oh, you, you heard this, how do you know what you know? Where did you get that information? And how can we double check that? Um, the accuracy and the verification at that fact-finding stage is so critical. Um, our, our real job as the advisor is as a listener. Um, we want to hear students' ideas and help them use those voices to really execute the, the vision or the idea that our students have in mind. Um, and then there's that layer of coaching and guidance that happens behind the scene to really just kind of be a, a partner for our students as they go through that. Um, it can be challenging, right? The students in the room, you know, um, your community standards are very different. Um, even, the, us, even with us here on the panel or um, from my school in California to Mike's school in New York, um, the things that might be pretty common where I am in Northern California maybe not appropriate in upstate New York. Um, so it's really a case of knowing your readership and knowing your community standards to look at um, what is the way that we can capture this year's story about that topic like vaping or um, the Me Too movement or mental health challenges at your school in a way that um, you'll be proud to have addressed them that way 20 years from now when you show that yearbook to um, the future generations in your family. You know, um, something that might have a lot of meaning on your news website right now or in your newspaper or news magazine has a very different feel in the yearbook, right? And so one of the things that I focus on with my own students is what's the story and how will I tell it? And within that, we look at four time frames. So we look at now, soon, later, and forever. And our job on the yearbook side is to focus on the forever, right? So that may, might be a good framework for your staff to consider is um, what's the longevity of this story and what are the parts, if they might be sensitive or controversial, that we think are so critical that we, we feel compelled, like we have to have them in our yearbook. That could maybe be a good guide for those topics. Yeah. And how have you supported um, advisors that you've worked with if, you, if they've ever felt like their staffs are going in the wrong direction? How, how do you cut it off or help reframe? I think you hit a little bit about this, but do, do you get, and, and maybe we can open this to all three of you, have you supported advisors where you've needed to say to them, they should say to their kids, let's, let's slow down, let's take a step back. Are we adding value sure. or are we just doing this because it's sensational? And sure. So as, as the students in the room can attest, you work so hard to boost the credibility of your program and to get recognition for what you do and to increase your sales. And you're always trying to elevate your profile. Um, I like to remind students and advisors that that can be undone in an instant. And you really don't want to wind up on the news. Um, around mid-May until like maybe the second week in June, it's sort of this daily nervous refresh on social media of which yearbook staff did it wrong, so to speak, and you don't want your staff to be in that position, right? Um, where I live in Northern California about 10 years ago was a pretty famous example of yearbook spread where the headline was beer, bongs, and booty. 
And um, I share that with my students now to date because it's a great reminder that there are things that could be covered much differently um, if the students felt like those were stories they needed to tell. So um, asking the questions of like, is this really um, the approach that you want to take? And um, as advisors, we kind of focus ourselves with our students on these two guiding questions of what's the best thing that can happen if you run this story? And that's a great question to ask, right? Um, but that the companion question is, what's the worst thing that could happen if you run this story? And that is always a, a helpful tool for us. Lori, it looks like you wanted to get in here too. I primarily advise newspaper anymore, but I'm very, my heart is always in your book because that's where I started. Um, and one of the things that I remember as well, I always ask my students, you know, why does this matter? Why is this so important? Is this a hill you want to die on? Um, because, the, you know, they'll say, hey, we want to cover this, this, and this. I'm like, that's great. What, what do, in Sarah's instance, you know, what do you really need to remember about that in 15, 20 years? Um, I was a non-tenured advisor in my first teaching job, and there were some girls who um, had cocaine in the bathroom and got in trouble for it, and we printed that in the yearbook. Um, and we didn't hear anything. But, you know, it was part of the year, it was part of something what people were talking about. It's not only the good things that happen, it's the bad things, too. And it's important to really show that story. I've, I've had instances in which, on this Glass of Press Rights Committee, we've helped, you know, um, sports writers with yearbook who are told that they cannot put a losing season in the yearbook. Right. Or injuries. Or injuries. Right. Um, you can put a losing season in the yearbook. You are supposed to tell the story of that year. Right. And I think that's critical to remember um, to, to not disassociate yearbook from journalism. Um, and I think that happens a lot, where we, we, we think about stories differently in yearbook than maybe we do on a newspaper or a magazine staff. Um, and there certainly are some physical differences between them, right? And I, I, I talk to my students a lot about how the yearbook is the one piece that people are going to take with them from high school, right? That, like, literally, if you ask anyone 20 years later what they kept with them from high school, it's their yearbook, right? Um, and as an as a, a, a advisor of other publications, it sometimes makes me sad to see copies of the magazine or the newspaper sort of laying around campus like I was done with it and I discarded it. But I get, like, that's what happens, right? That's what happens. No one keeps every issue of the New York Times. They just don't. Um, and, um, but the yearbook they're going to keep. Um, I, I don't think, though, that necessarily has to completely change the way you're covering things. Um, you do need to think about, I love Sarah's framework of, of the four sort of time frames, and that forever idea is definitely there. Like, you, I think you have to make sure that you keep that in your head. But it shouldn't necessarily make you shy away from topics that you think are important to cover. So, Brian, I was with one of my students at a um, uh, kind of an outreach opportunity upstate last year, and um, she went toe-to-toe. -to -toe. She's in the room, but she went toe-to-toe -to -toe with a local superintendent who was really frustrated that we had launched the New Voices campaign, which we'll get to in a, in a couple minutes. But he said to her, um, young lady, uh, the yearbook and newspaper staff's job is to help me pitch and sell our district to people who might want to move here so we can attract great families, and I need that PR tool. To which she replied, um, and I'm sum summing it up, um, our, our job is to do good journalism, not be PR for you. And I mean, it was a slam dunk, super proud of her. Yeah. But, but how do you um, uh, advise advisors and staffs to, to kind of negotiate that through? Or if you could get inside the heads of principals and superintendents, what would you tell them about PR versus great journalism? The, the tricky thing, I think, like I mentioned earlier, is uh, reframing that idea of what makes a district a positive, productive, important, like successful district. Um, and giving students those opportunities to be able to cover the things that they 
want and need to cover, uh, and pushing stories that are important to the student body, I mean, that that's the best PR tool a district could have. Right. Critical thinking, Absolutely. I mean, all of it. Right. 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 And so the, the, the tricky thing is that when, you know, when, when I talk about how a great yearbook can be a great PR tool, and a principal talks about how a yearbook should be a PR tool, we're, we're talking about two different things. Yes. Um, but the terminology, I think, if you can, if you can somehow shift your, advise, your ad administration's thinking into that level of like, here's why this makes for a great school and a great program, I, right. think, I think you're in great shape. Sarah? I, I couldn't agree more with, with Brian's points. And I think one of the things we can always remind our, our teaching colleagues and our administrators is that at the core, um, the yearbook piece is part of the curriculum at most schools. And so it's a learning opportunity where students are taking away skills. And so um, that is the, the piece that translates many, many years down the road. And that's what, where the administrator and the teacher are on the same page, right? We want our students to learn. And the only way our students can learn is when they have that opportunity to make these decisions and to, to do the real work, right? That decision making and research and reporting and how to tell the story from start to finish is the piece where they learn and, and show what they learned. And so if, if that's not the focus of every decision we make as the advisor and administrator, we've failed our school. Right. <laughs> and no principal wants to say he or she failed his or her school. So um, you know, I, I use that as a reassuring point to students too, right? Many of our students, well, none of our students are going to major in yearbook in college. It's, it's actually not a major, sadly enough. Sadly. Um, but you are going to go on and major in a million different fields where these skills serve you so well. And so um, that's another selling point for us in um, empowering you to use your voices as the storytellers. And Lori, last point there. And if you need help in working to empower your voice, JEA Scholastic Press Rights Committee has a panic button. You can find it on JEA.org, JEASPRC.org. We are here to help both advisors and students hit the panic button, fill out the form, and we are we will be right there to help you. And you should also give, if you guys are active on Twitter, um, you can find uh, the Scholastic Press Rights Committee at JEA uh, Press Rights on, on Twitter. Um, we're getting into a little bit of alphabet soup, so nice segue there. Uh, we've got SPLC, we've got JEA, most of you are aware of Journalism Education Association. Uh, but SPRC, SPLC, Lori, it's, it's all yours. Can you help the students understand what we're talking about there? SPLC is a student press law center. They are the group of lawyers who come to help you in your time of need. They, you can get free aid. They will hook you up with a lawyer in your area to help you with your legal issues. They also will answer questions about items like Freedom of Information Act, copyright. You can fill out the form for them, and they will also come to your aid. This Glass Press Rights Committee, we are kind of a ragtag group of advisors who have been working for years to help forward students' First Amendment rights. We have a group of about 35 advisors who work on that committee. Um, we have blogs. We have um, podcasts. There's a new podcast that Mike will talk about. Um, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook. We have all kinds of information and resources for you for the advisors or students in the room. We have something called quick tips, which are meant to be just quick in and out. You know, there's one on prior review versus prior restraint um, that really lay out all the issues in kind of a very quick, succinct fashion with some resources. You can get more information at the end. Sarah, you talked about that hot time between mid-May and June. I've been there with you because we, we comment on a lot of the same posts. Um, 
We're talking about uh, pitfalls in the coverage, uh, could be articles, a lot around senior quotes and senior wills um, and people. How many of you in the audience, how many of you run senior quotes and senior wills or senior superlatives? Okay. Um, uh, it's, yeah, interesting there. Um, can you talk a little bit about some of those pitfalls and, and some of the things that you see in headlines to help people understand how we frame that? Sure, and I think that's such an important question for, for listeners or for students in the room because when you learn, uh, when you seek to improve your skills in your book, there are so many students focused on color or white space or photography, but it's so important to uh, listen to these best practices when they're shared from those who have the experience and training. Um, these matter just as much as someone telling you not to trap a caption or something. Um, so it's, it's, um, it's a scary time when the book delivers unless you have really carefully kind of walked the line all year long. And so senior superlatives and senior quotes are two of those areas where um, some, some good decision making up front can really um, smooth out the process. Since it's a student publication, I think it is so important for the students to be the ones making those choices. And I can say as an advisor in my 20th year, I've had students do senior superlatives and also choose not to do senior superlatives. And I completely stand behind those decisions either way. Since it is a product that you're marketing and selling to your student body, you want it to be relatable and relevant and um, what your constituents or customers or students care about. So there are some times that you really adhere to their wants and needs that might include um, a superlatives campaign, for example, especially if that's a tradition at your school that readers really hang on to, right? So one of the ways that you can think about it is uh, your yearbook staff is a leadership component of your school, right? As a journalist, you're a leader. You have a chance to sort of move the needle on things or drive change or be a, a, a source of good in your school. So a good leader unifies, right? A good leader unites. So if the superlatives you do divide people in your student body or like create divisions among your readers, that can't possibly be a good thing, right? If it's just like a popularity contest or a way of um, reducing your coverage instead of expanding it, um, it doesn't really serve any purpose. So if you choose to do a traditional superlatives campaign, it's really important to consider what would the categories be that would be relevant to this year, that would really engage our readers and make sense, and be a way to, um, to highlight student achievement, not things that are superficial or trivial or it could any way be hurtful or um, insensitive. And um, then the next step with that, if you choose to create those categories, is to develop a, a mechanism for the selection and voting that is fair and transparent and organized and heavily publicized. Um, in some cases, we see yearbook staffs complaining or like fighting to keep superlatives alive. And then I hear with, you know, I'm working with the advisor or speaking with them, and I find out only like 100 kids voted out of a 500 student senior class. And it's real easy to say to that staff, hey guys, nobody cares about these at your school. If they are not voting, they're really not as tied to superlatives as you think they are. Um, so you know, setting up, like, what's your sample size? What kind of response rate do you want? How will you tally the results? How will you report the results? How will you show that it was accurate and that your yearbook staff members weren't trying to use it as a way of um, dictating coverage or getting certain people in or out of the yearbook. Those are really complicated decisions for your staff members to, to grapple with. And we see a lot of senior quotes going wrong where people are trying to embed homophobic or racist or they're, they're trying to be sneaky and clever and then it ends up literally on ABC Nightly News because somebody tries to get a Hitler quote in your yearbook because they think right. they're being funny. Yeah, and the senior quotes are such a different issue, I think, than the yeah. superlatives. Yep. They're sort of the two 
scary, scary possibilities in your book. But um, you know, the idea that every student is just going to give some sort of generic quote is really just bad storytelling or bad journalism to begin with, right? We we have a million stories that we want to tell, so maybe use the yearbook theme as a lens to tell those stories, or as a way to ask every senior the same question, or um, finding ways to ask them about certain things that are already relevant to your readers rather than just submitting something. Um, that, that would be like a starting point, but certainly the level of verification, um, attribution, decoding, um, advisors can relate that Urban Dictionary is really your best friend in some of those scenarios. Um, but my own editors, they have sort of a code that like if they have to look it up, that's a red flag from the get-go. And so it's really important for the editorial board um, in the summertime or sort of outside of your yearbook production cycle to develop a, a a plan and, a, and an approach that's very clear as to how you will move through those decisions um, so that nothing slips through your cracks. Brian, did you want to get in there? Yeah, yeah um, I, I would reiterate a lot of the, uh, not just having the, having the students have the discussions about whether or not these things are worthy as part of the yearbook, but uh, having them be able to justify why um, in terms of like these are, no, this is why this belongs in our yearbook or this is why this is important to our student body. Because they'll say, but it's what we've always done. Right. And I think that beca that becomes a huge part of this. Um, I also, um, uh, I think Lori used the phrase, uh, the, the mountain you're willing to die on um, earlier. And I, I say to my students a lot, uh, I'm willing to die on a mountain uh, for you, for my staff. Uh, I'm not really willing to die on that mountain for someone who's turning in a senior quote. Um, and so having some specific guidelines and constraints along the way, I think is a really important part of making sure that that happens. I also think a lot of these things are gonna, I think they're on the way out. Um, I think that um, the, the, the Kavanaugh yearbook stuff that, that came up a couple of, was that a month ago? Yeah. It, seems it feels like, like two years ago. Yeah, right. Um, but um, just just the uh, it brought a lot of public attention to this idea that like there's a, there's a lot of stuff in yearbooks, or at least there has been that that doesn't really belong, um, and it shouldn't be a place for a popularity contest. And um, we we do uh, we have mock elections. I have my students have the conversation every year. Um, I think we're closer to a point now. My editors are starting to think more about the negative ramifications of, of superlatives than they were at one point. But I think the, the, the social barometer, I think, is pointing us in a direction where I, I think eventually these things are probably going to be fewer and further between. I want to um, just be sensitive to time because we've got Lori and Sarah for just about 15 minutes um, uh, left. Uh, and I'm going to get Lexi around to walk a microphone to you for questions and answers. I do want to highlight um, uh, there's a na nationwide campaign that is uh, student-driven and nonpartisan. Uh, it is the New Voices campaign, newvoicesus.com. Um, there are 36 states where students operate under the Hazelwood decision of 1998. Um, the, the balance, uh, the other 14, have greater protections that are either the Tinker Standard or California's Ed Code, rattle off the number 48907, 48, um, where students are empowered uh, under the First Amendment to be able to express what they want to express, cover what they want to cover. Again, all of this is based on a solid foundation of journalism. It's not willy-nilly and what you said, uh, booty, beer, and... 
beer, beer bong and yeah, that, that, that's not that. It's, it's good, good, solid journalism. Uh, but we had a summit yesterday uh, with I think about 11 states in the, uh, in the room uh, to talk about new voices. Any one of the four of us, um, if you see us out in the hallways, we can talk with you about it. And there is, as Lori mentioned, through the SPRC, um, a second podcast uh, that I co-host called Conversations at the Schoolhouse Gate. You can find it where you find your book wise, uh, and we'd love to have a listen and a follow there as well. Um, I'm going to have Lexi, one of my students from Tesserae, uh, up and around on her feet. If you've got questions, uh, please raise a hand and we'll get it around to you. Um, if you need to transition out, please just do so quietly. We're going to be out of here in about um, 12 minutes. We'll get you out in plenty of time. Uh, but who's got questions for the panelists, uh, your book wise? Go ahead, right there. Hi. Um, I have a question about um, confidence in writing stories. Um, there are a few kids in our class um, on the staff of the yearbook, and we're very confident in writing stories about mental illness and the Me Too movement. But there are other kids who are not as confident and don't think that it's going to work out well for the rest of the um, <clears throat> students in the school. How do you advise that we go about bringing up confidence in telling these important stories that should be told? That's such a great question, because you certainly want to nurture your younger or less confident staff members to um, boost them over their, the course of their experience. Um, I often, uh, with my own editors, sort of have the dialogue that not all spreads are created equal in a yearbook, and not all topics, you know, a, a package about the blood drive or the spirit dress-up days during homecoming week is certainly not as important as the coverage you put in the yearbook about Me Too stories, right? So um, certainly those tougher topics um, are going to go to more experienced staff members, and they're going to have partners and teams and buddies and a little bit of extra coaching from the editors, and certainly a higher level of coaching um, and engagement from me as the advisor. So if you have someone with less confidence or experience, maybe loop them into a team setting where um, they could work together. But uh, I think editors in the room or editors listening, uh, you have a job to your staff. Right, you you owe them. You have their back, and you have like the whole school. You have a job to them too. So you want to make sure that those particularly sensitive stories have uh, just a higher level uh, um, from the reporting all the way to the execution. I think this goes for everything yearbook related. You, um, you need to train. Um, like you you learned what you know uh, over a, a course of time, and I think it's it's critical that the editors and the leadership team on yearbook staff, uh, you're going to leave uh, and we're going to still be here and you have a nec the next generation coming up to take your place. Um, I think with you know, confidence in stories was your original topic. I think making sure that, that people feel comfortable with that, that they're coached into that, that maybe they're wor working on stories together, right? With, a, with an older staff member gives them those opportunities to, to gain that confidence. Don't shy away from it. Do we have another question in the audience? How about on the far side, Lex? Thank you. Okay, so our school has an issue with, um, this is more of a general question, but our school has mainly a problem with change. These conventions that we go to to learn um, the ideas and like you guys leading us and telling us things, we can start with our school. If our administration or advisors won't allow it, but we students come here to learn about it, how do we apply that to our school if we aren't given the chance to do that? I, I love you, man. That's, that's it's massive. Lori, could you get into this uh, first? Yes. Part of that, um, going back and telling your showing your advisor hey, these are the things I've learned at this conference, and I'm really excited to, to show this to you and to show it to the rest of the staff, and then we can move forward and keep doing this. I think that's the first item. 
Um, also, if your book reps should come into that play, into that as well. But really, it is coming back and saying, "Hey, I heard this from this person." I always tell people, you know, let let the change be on me that you heard it from this crazy lady who's really excited and thinks you could make a really, you know, so many things, you know, so much better. And can we talk a little, maybe a little bit about incremental change too, right? Because I think that sometimes. Um, this is going to sound moderately self-serving, but I'll, I'll get to the point. I've had advisors say, hey, can, can we look at a copy of your book? My kids want to be more like your book. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. And I'm honored that you think that. But please understand, this has been an 18-year-long process, and it doesn't happen overnight. So it could be one article or one spread or one new way of, um, uh, of modifying your workflow. Maybe you do Friday check-ins for the first time ever, like my staff is this year, because we were inspired by another program, because our kids didn't own their work, because we weren't saying, you need to own your work. It's going to get published anyhow. So incremental change and, and, and thinking small. I'm with you. Coming away from these being pumped, is it's, it's such a great feeling, right? You go home on a train or a plane, and you're like, I'm going to change the world. The yearbook, it's incredible. And then you get back to reality, and your principal's like, yeah, no, you can't write about that. And you're like, but other people are, and they are. And it's important to keep that going in your head. I think another important thing that all students and advisors can share with administrators is that in yearbook, as with each piece of student media, there are standards. Just like your English teacher is meeting state and national standards, or your math teacher or your science teacher. So you can actually show either a state or a national guidebook to show that excellence in yearbook includes not only like student-generated and student-dictated content, but tough tough, sensitive topics that are relevant to your readers, whatever those are, whether it's mental health or drug abuse or body image or um, racial challenges that your student body faces, whatever those things are, an excellent yearbook has to have those. And I don't think any administrator wants your yearbook to be less than excellent, right? So you can kind of lean on those standards and say, um, you know, just like your English teacher has to teach commas, we have to tackle tough subjects or we're not real. Um, and, and maybe that will give you the little bit of boost that you need in, in um, approaching. I know it's hard for students to have to go up to an advisor or administrator to um, defend what you've learned and, and get to implement it, but um, we've got your back. We are so glad that you're here, and we want to help you to take that next step. And Lori, again? And continue to do good journalism. Verify, verify, verify. Have those primary, secondary sources. I think that's important, too. Over on this side of the room, a question for the panel. Lexi, go ahead. Hi, so you kind of touched on this, but at our school there's been a lot of talk because of the college admissions process regarding affirmative action and its role in whether it's unfair, whether it's beneficiary to the community. Um, but if our administration believes that there's just some topics that shouldn't be covered in the yearbook because they're deemed too controversial, how do we open up that conversation with administrators to show them that it would be beneficial to share these opinions? I think you use the right term, open up the conversation, right? Um, I, I think that there's maybe some slow progress to be made on this, but certainly having the conversations. Um, and I think it coming from students, coming from the editors who are uh, prepared for the conversation, who are able to sort of lay out the points as to why this is important, uh, is way stronger, in my view, than coming from the advisor, right? I think that conversation coming from you, it's a student publication. You want to sort of clarify that that's the case. The administrator might not necessarily be in that thought mode. Um, but having the conversations with them and justifying those things to them. And I think in some cases, uh, this happens journalistically across the board, I think involving people as sources on stories, right? It's, it, the conversation shouldn't be, hey, I'm coming to you to see if it's okay if we print this, right? The conversation should be, 
we're, run, we're doing a story on this, and we'd love to have your perspective. Um, and so reframing that question so that they have an opportunity to be part of the coverage instead of feeling like they're the gatekeeper of what's right and what's wrong, I think can be helpful as well. Excellent. And I think just here, Lex. So I think you covered this early at the beginning, but can you like elaborate more on what you should do to uh, what what should you do when you're covering a controversial topic that is most likely going to be censored? Contact the Student Press Law Center and contact the Scholastic Press Rights Committee, and then we will help you. Also, we'll ask you what state you're in to see if you're one of those New Voices states or one of the ones that are working to advance New Voices, because we need those stories in those states, too. I think, Sarah, you hit it, too, the asking your, challenging your staff to assess why and what, what, are, the, what are the pitfalls? Why, why do we want to pursue this story? Who are our sources going to be? Where, how is this adding value to the conversation in our school? Sure. So, you know, if, if you were my student asking me that question, and, and I am fortunate to live in a state where that would be illegal, um, but I, I would want to know, well, what makes you think it's going to get censored? And tell me the story again, you know, like even just the framing of the question, like if you go to a topic going in feeling that it's um, has this red stamp or badge against it, um, then I would be asking, well, like, what is the tone of this story that's so essential to 2019, right? That's the yearbook that your staff is creating right now. And so um, if it's a story on like drinking, well, you know what? Drinking is not new. <laughs> Drinking is not new at all. So is it a story on vaping? Well, yeah, vaping is really, really big at the school where I teach right now. And it's a, a huge issue. And students are talking about it. Students are doing it. Students are hiding it. It has to go in our yearbook, right? It's 100% relevant. But something that's not new that could still be controversial, like drinking, I'm going to ask my students a lot more questions to dig to why they think that's so essential. And I want them to, you know, not just localize it, but hyper-localize it, hit it to this particular school year, show me the sources, show me why that story hasn't been done before, show me how it needs to be, like, sort of immortalized, um, and how that might be different from where else we're covering it on our news website, our news magazine. And I'm just going to come through those questions um, to make sure that we are moving forward. And then if we are, it's the things that Lori said, it's the sourcing, it's the research, it's having a team on the story, right? It's um, just like doubling down on the reporting and execution stage, um, if it's a go. And Brian, we'll let you have the last word. I think just in general terms, um, it, making sure that the students on your staff fully understand the press rights and the press law in your state is crucial. Um, I make sh I'm in California like Sarah, um, my students know 48907 backwards and forwards um, in terms of understanding the rights they have, but I, I think that that's important no matter where you're coming from, even if it isn't amazing, excellent scholastic press protection. Knowing what it is, um, I think goes a long way towards, even if it's not like, hey, wait a second, we can print this, right? It's, well, wait, maybe we should work towards making a difference in this. Um, and just having that awareness, I think, is, is absolutely critical to making sure that your staff fully knows the, the, the ground that they're standing on. Folks, that's going to do us um, for today. I want to remind you that um, you're in the room here, but if you do want to or care to listen online, uh, you can find the podcast at, at YourBookWise and anywhere you download podcasts on Apple iTunes and Google Play. Uh, could I have a hand for our panelists again, for Sarah Nichols, Brian Wilson, and Lori Keekley?
Once again, newvoicesus.com, the Student Press Law Center, JEA Scholastic Press Rights Committee, all excellent resources for you to keep the conversation going. And uh, you can find me online at iteachyearbook at gmail.com if you want to continue. Uh, Brian and I are here for the next couple of minutes if you wish to be. And our, our staff is at the door with uh, a podcast button. Feel free to take their limited edition. Guys, thanks. Have a great convention. Take care. And friends, just for uh, sake of a quick wrap up here, uh, thanks for the listen. Uh, thank you so much to all of you who stopped me in the halls, uh, saw me in elevators, and, and, and just you know made yourselves known and said uh, hello and, and thank you for the podcast. It's a, a joy and a passion project and one that it, uh, it, it just makes me really happy to know that it's out there and that you're out there as listeners and, and getting something out of it. If there's anything that uh, you think I can be doing uh, differently or, or better to support you and your staffs, uh, please never hesitate to reach out. Email me at iteachyearbook at gmail.com. Uh, again, reach out on Twitter at, at yearbookwise. Uh, always look forward to, uh, to hearing from you, having uh, critique and feedback or maybe episode requests and, and topics that would be helpful to you and your staffs. Uh, hopefully, once things settle down here after the convention, we'll get into uh, some business and business practices uh, with Matthew Laporte out of uh, Nevada. Uh, and, uh, well, who knows what's going to be in your feeds uh, over the next couple of weeks. It's going to be uh, time to get home and, and decompress for a few, and, uh, and then we'll be back in your feeds soon enough. But uh, for now, good luck, my friends. Be well. We'll talk soon. Thank you.